All right, now if you have your Bible, I want you to turn with me to the book of Exodus. We're going to start in chapter 25 tonight and uh, work through a few chapters. We are studying tonight the tabernacle in the wilderness. It is one of my very, very favorite subjects to teach and preach on in the whole Bible. And uh, I first really learned uh, in depth about the tabernacle over 40 years ago where I heard a pastor when we were in uh, seminary uh, out in Fort Worth. I heard a pastor, our pastor at that time, teach us about the tabernacle. I guess I'd read it in the Bible before, but I really didn't understand it. And uh, that put me on a 40-plus year journey of learning and studying and teaching and just marveling at uh, what God has revealed to us in the tabernacle of Moses in the wilderness. So uh, I've uh, only got one Wednesday night to teach on it, and according to my plan, we'll see if God's got other plans. But uh, that's what we're going to look at tonight. So uh, if you have your Bible open there to Exodus chapter 25, we're going to look here at the tabernacle in the wilderness. And it is, um, I hope, a study that you will enjoy tonight and be blessed by. And we pray the Spirit of God will teach all of us by His Spirit and from His Word. Now, you've got your outline there, and also on the other part of it, somewhere on there, I hope you've got uh, the uh, diagram of the uh, Holy of Holies and the tabernacle there. Do you have that in there? Okay, very good. Then... Uh, I wanted to ha you to have that so I could point various things out to you as we go through the message tonight. So, point number one in your outline, let me give you that, and then we'll read starting at verse 1 of chapter 25. The purpose of the tabernacle. The purpose of the tabernacle. Exodus chapter 25, starting to read at verse 1. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, that they bring me an offering from everyone who gives it willingly with his heart, you shall take my offering. And this is the offering which you shall take from them. Gold, silver, bronze, blue, purple, and scarlet thread, fine linen, and goat's hair, ram skin dyed red, badger skins, and acacia wood, oil for the light, and spices for the anointing, and for the sweet incense, onyx stones, and stones to be set in the ephod, and in the breastplate. Verse 8, And let them make me a sanctuary, a sacred place, that I may dwell among them. What is the purpose of the sanctuary? So that God would have a dwelling place among his people. That's what God has always wanted. He wanted back then to be with his people. He wants to be with his people now. And he's promised that he will. Think with me what we looked at last week about the laws that God gave to Moses, uh, to the children of Israel. What God did then was to give them his requirements, his laws for them to love him, to serve him, to obey him, uh, to enjoy life the way God wanted them to. So he gave them these laws so that they might know his holiness and their sinfulness, which raises the question, what would happen to them when they broke one of the laws of God? What would happen? Well, in our passage tonight, what we see is that God is providing a way, a means for them to have their sins forgiven. And it is through what we're going to learn tonight 
in the tabernacle and what is involved in the tabernacle. But the purpose here of the tabernacle is that God wants to be with his people. Isn't that good news? He still wants to be with his people. He is with us now. Uh, Isaiah said, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. David said in the 23rd Psalm, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will not fear for thou art with me. God is with us in the shadow, in the valley of the shadow of death. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 28, Go into all the world and preach the gospel and teach those and baptize those and I will be with you. Do not fear, for I am your God. Do not be afraid, for I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. The promise of Jesus, the promise of the Lord, the promise of the word of God is that he is and will be with his people. So is he with you tonight? I trust he is. If you know him, if you received him into your life, he is with you individually, personally, and he is here with us as a group, as the body of Christ spread throughout all these big buildings around here. He is here. He is with us, and we enjoy his presence. We love him, and we worship him. So the purpose of the tabernacle is that God could dwell among his people there in a location that they would recognize as a sacred place. Point number two. The pattern of the tabernacle. The pattern of the tabernacle, and that is found in verse 9. So we're still in Exodus 25. The pattern of the tabernacle, look with me here, verse 9. According to all that I show you, that is the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all its furnishings, just so you shall make it. In other words, God said, Moses, I'm going to show you what I want you to make. I want you to make a tabernacle. And in case Moses didn't understand what a tabernacle was, he, he certainly didn't know at this point all that God wanted to have associated with that tabernacle. God says, I'm going to show you exactly what I want you to do. I'm going to show you the pattern. Now, where uh, is the tabernacle? after which the tabernacle in the wilderness was patterned. It is in heaven. That's why I've given you this reference of Hebrews chapter 8 and verse 5. If you'd like to turn over there and look at that verse with me, I'm, going, I'm already there, but you can turn there if you'd like to. Hebrews chapter 8 and verse 5. Listen to this. Who serve the copy, he's talking about the priests, who serve the copy and shadow of the heavenly things, as Moses was divinely instructed when he was about to make the tabernacle. For he said, see that you make all things according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. That's the quote here from Exodus chapter 25 and verse 9. But what the writer of Hebrews is saying here is that the real tabernacle is in heaven. And the Bible says in Hebrews that when Jesus rose from the, uh, when Jesus uh, rose from the dead, he went into that heavenly tabernacle and applied his blood there on the mercy seat of that heavenly tabernacle. So what God was showing Moses uh, about the tabernacle is patterned after that tabernacle that is in heaven. So he wanted his people to understand what he is about and what he's going to do and how they can relate to him. So that is the pattern of the tabernacle. Well, what about the parts of the tabernacle? 
That is point number three. If you've got your outline there, just write that down. The parts of the tabernacle and what are they? If you look there at your diagram of the uh, tabernacle, you will see these three parts. The, the entire uh, area inside the fence that is around it, that, that, uh, those lines, that rectangle, the big rectangle there with those little circles all around it, uh, or next to those straight lines, that is the court or the outer court of the uh, tabernacle. And then if you'll look at the other rectangle that is inside there, you'll see the first part of it that says holy place and then the other part of it that says most holy place or holy of holy. So there are three parts to the tabernacle, that is the outer court or the courtyard, the holy place, and the holy of holies. And I'll talk more about those in just a moment, but just so you get it in your mind, what we're talking about here is this is how it is laid out. So let me go on now and uh, look at point number four with you, and that is the furnishings of the tabernacle. The furnishings of the tabernacle, God here gives to Moses 10 different aspects or furnishings of this tabernacle, and I want you to look with me. We're going to look at each of these briefly, maybe a little more time in one or two of them than the others, but I want you to look at these, and I didn't give you any blanks under number four because I wanted you to be able to turn to these references and focus on the scripture here. So look with me at chapter 25, where we still are, at verses 10 and 11. And God begins with the most important part of the tabernacle, and that is the Ark of the Covenant. Look at verses 10 and 11. And they shall make an ark of acacia wood, which was a wood that was native, of course, to that area. There's lots of that around there. They used acacia wood. Two and a half cubits shall be its length, a cubit and a half its width, and a cubit and a half its height. And you shall overlay it with pure gold. Inside and out you shall overlay it and shall make it make on it a molding of gold all around. So let me explain uh, the, uh, this ark of the covenant. Uh, it is um, a box, a chest, a box that's about a yard long and about uh, a foot and a half wide or two feet wide. And uh, it is made of wood. It is overlaid with gold both on the outside and on the inside. So it's a wooden box with gold all overlaid on it. They moved it around by means of having gold rings on, uh, on uh, two sides of it with a, a wooden pole that was gold uh, overlaid also. They were not when they moved. See, this was, this was to be in a tent. And so the people of God would move from time to time as God led them to move, and so they needed to have a way to move this Ark of the Covenant. So God said, I want you to make these, uh, these uh, rings to put on the outside of this uh, box, this Ark of the Covenant, and put those poles through it so that when the Levites get ready to move, when I tell you to move, they will pick up the Ark of the Covenant by the poles and not touch the Ark of the Covenant itself. Now, this uh, box, this ark, was a very significant part of uh, the worship of ancient Israel. It is greatly symbolic, uh, and it, it also very um, 
instructional for you and me tonight as we think about what God was doing there. God, when he was giving these instructions to Moses, he didn't start with the outside with the fence, but he started with the inside because it was on the inside in the Holy of Holies where God was going to manifest his presence. And so he gives Moses this first piece of furniture, this Ark of the Covenant. Now, inside the Ark of the Covenant, uh, which I have not given that to you, but uh, if you want to write this down, you may already know this. Inside the Ark of the Covenant, he was to put the tablets of stone upon which God wrote the Ten Commandments. They were to go inside this covenant, uh, this Ark of the Covenant. Also, uh, a jar, a golden jar of manna, Manna, of course, was the food that God would provide for his children or did, was at that time already providing for his children so they could eat. And then also Aaron, Moses' older brother, Aaron's rod that budded. Uh, that is, uh, there was uh, a controversy about who really is to be leader and so on. And God gave them a certain thing to do. And Aaron's rod was the one that budded, demonstrating that God had chosen him uh, for that position. So all those three things were to be put inside the Ark of the Covenant. All right, now that's the first thing. That's the first item there that's inside, and it is to go inside the Holy of Holies. The next thing here is in verses 17 and 18, and it is the mercy seat. Look uh, there at those two verses. You shall make a mercy seat of pure gold. Two and a half cubits shall be its length, and a cubit and a half its, uh, its width. And you shall make two cherubim of gold, of hammered work, you shall make them at the two ends of the mercy seat. Now, I'm going to stop the reading there and talk to you a moment about the mercy seat. The mercy seat was the lid of the Ark of the Covenant. It was to be made of pure gold. Different from the Ark itself, which is made of wood and overlaid with gold, the mercy seat is to be made of pure gold, a similar dimensions, uh, length and width, that uh, was the Ark of the Covenant because it was to fit directly on top of the Ark of the Covenant. And then in addition, there were to be added to that mercy seat two cherubim or two cherubs uh, that were to be placed on each end of the mercy seat and their wings were to be folded in such a way and their head was to be turned in such a way that they were looking down onto the mercy seat and uh, their wings were folded in so that they were touching each other. Now then, what was the purpose of this? Why then did God command this chest with these things in it and the, the cherubim there and, uh, and what, was to do, what was to be done with this? Well, in order to describe this to you, you've got to fast forward a little bit because God would give them instructions about who could come into the Holy of Holies and the only person who could ever go inside the Holy of Holies after all of this is built was the high priest and the first high priest in ancient Israel was Aaron, the brother of Moses. He could go into the Holy of Holies only one day per year and that was the Day of Atonement. The Day of Atonement was the national day of mourning for the people of God, the people of Israel, as they mourned over their sin. And also they were to bring a sacrifice for their sin. God commanded that there be uh, two particular, two animals in particular, that would be offered as a sacrifice. 
that was a bull and also a goat. So the bull was to be offered for the sins of the high priest himself. The goat was to be offered for the sins of the people. So the blood, the, the, both of those animals were sacrificed on the brass altar, the bronze altar that we'll talk about in a few minutes. Their blood was to be caught in a bowl and brought in by the high priest to the Holy of Holies, sprinkled there on the mercy seat that we were just talking about, and that God then would manifest His presence, His glory, His Shekinah glory would be manifested there above the wings of the cherubim, above the mercy seat, but through the blood. Because the problem that the children of Israel had was related to that, uh, that uh, tablet, those tablets of stone. Those tablets were the Ten Commandments. And what did the people of God do with the Ten Commandments? About the only thing they ever did with them was break them. And because of that, anytime God would be looking down through the mercy seat into, the Holy of, into that Ark of the Covenant, He would see the broken law of the people of God. That is why God commanded that there be blood applied to the mercy seat so that God, in His mercy, would have mercy upon His people and see the broken law through the shed blood of a sacrificial animal. Now, that is a picture of what would happen hundreds of years later when the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, would come and shed His blood and sprinkle His own blood on the mercy seat of that Ark of the Covenant in heaven. And Jesus is our, He is our Savior. He is our friend. He is the one who, who gave His own blood as a sacrifice for our sins so that when the Father sees us, He sees us through the shed blood of His own Son. Therefore, our sins are forgiven because of the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross at Calvary 2,000 years ago. And that is one of the beautiful things that is pictured here in the Ark of the Covenant and the mercy seat. Uh, letter C here is the table of showbread, still in chapter 25. Let's look at verses 23 and 24. You shall also make a table of acacia wood. Two cubits shall be its length, a cubit its width, width, and a cubit and a half its height. And you shall overlay it with pure gold and make a molding of gold all around. Now then look at your drawing here for a moment, uh, and you'll see I've already talked about the most holy place or the holy of holies, uh, the uh, Ark of the Covenant and the mercy seat. Now look uh, at that other place in there inside the tent, which is called the holy place. You see there are three items or three furnishings there inside the holy place. The first one that we're going to look at is the table of showbread. That's what he's describing here in those verses that I just read. So what was, what was the significance of the table of showbread? Uh, it also was a table of wood overlaid with gold. It had a rim around the top edge of it so that when the bread was baked, that it would be brought into the holy place and placed on this table called the table of showbread or the table of the presence. If you've got a different uh, version that I'm using, 
Uh, it, it may be called the table of the presence. There were 12 loaves of bread there. Now, when I say loaves of bread, uh, uh, don't think about bunny bread that you buy at Kroger, okay? It's not that kind of a loaf. It would look more like a personal pan pizza. That is, it's uh, round and rather small, uh, but it would be only bread. There were 12 of them to represent each of the 12 tribes of the children of Israel. They would be, the bread would be changed out every Sabbath day, and the priests then were the only ones who were uh, able to eat the bread, that showbread, uh, that was there uh, in the presence of the Lord and there in that holy place. What is the significance of the showbread? The bread was to speak of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because in John chapter 6, he said, I am the bread of life. Whoever takes in my flesh, he said, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood will have life within himself. So it is a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's also a picture of the manna that God gave them, bread in the wilderness. But primarily, it is that picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, the next thing that we want to look at is what is directly across from that. And that is the lampstand. And that is found in verses 31 and 32 in this same chapter. You shall also make a lampstand of pure gold. The lampstand shall be of hammered work. Its shaft, its branches, its bowls, its ornamental knobs and flowers shall be of one piece. And six branches shall come out of its sides. Three branches of the lampstand out of one side and three branches of the lampstand out of the other side. Now, the word we usually use to describe this lamp stand is menorah. You may be familiar with the word menorah. Uh, it is a candlestick, the old King James Version. It translated this word candlestick. It is really not just one stick. It is, a, it is a more like a candelabra. It is a lamp stand. It had uh, the, the stand itself was the middle piece, the centerpiece, and coming out from that centerpiece were three other pieces on each side. It was made of one piece of gold, a hammered gold, and there were different uh, things that were built into it. For example, the bowls, verse 33, shall be made like almond blossoms on one branch, uh, ornamental knob, and a flower. Uh, so it, it was made to look like a tree, an almond tree. So the lampstand was a and at the top of each of these seven uh, of these uh, uh, branches of this lampstand, uh, there was a, a candle or there was a way to, there was a, a little, what I would just call and describe as a, a small well where oil would be placed in it, then a wick would be put in it, and it would be lit so that the candlestick or the lampstand would burn all the time. Uh, the priest, the high priest, was in charge of this. He was to make sure that this lamp, this lampstand, this light never went out because that was the only light that was inside this uh, tent of meeting. Uh, it was the only light that was inside the holy place. And so for a priest to walk in there and others, other priests than the high priest could go into the holy place, the Holy of Holies was reserved for the high priest only. 
But other priests could go into the holy place. So when he would go in there, there would, there would be light that would be uh, filtering through there from the lampstand. And where would that light be casting its light? On the bread. So think of it like this. The light, and by the way, the lampstand is also a picture of Jesus because he said, not only am I the light of the world, not only am I the bread of life, I am also the light of the world. And so here's Jesus, the light of the world, giving light into this place uh, and illuminating the bread, which is across the way from this lampstand. And that is also a picture of our need for the, for the illumination of Jesus for us to understand the word, the bread of life. And so here again, we have a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. So then next we go on to the tent, uh, and we'll, get, we'll come back to the um, altar of incense in a moment because I'm going straight through Exodus on this, and the altar of incense is described later on. So then we have next the tent itself, which is the tabernacle. Look with me at chapter 26 now and verse 1. Moreover, you shall make the tabernacle with ten curtains of fine woven linen, and blue, purple, and scarlet thread with artistic designs of cherubim, you shall weave them. And there's more descriptions of here uh, uh, down in this chapter of the tent. But the tent on the inside, it was to be beautifully, uh, it was to be made of beautifully uh, crafted uh, cloth that had within it of these, of these beautiful colors, blue and purple and scarlet thread, and woven within uh, these uh, beautiful uh, linen pieces were uh, artistic designs of cherubim. Cherubim, and as, I, as I indicated earlier, are on the mercy seat. They also are woven within, all inside of the, uh, of the tent of meeting. And they were to always represent the presence of the Lord. These cherubs were to remind the priests that they were always there in the presence of the Lord. Now, because this was where God's dwelling was going to be, it had to be beautiful. And so these uh, pieces of uh, linen, these curtains that um, are the covering of the area here had to be made of beautiful material. And then he talks next about the veil. Look with me at chapter 26 and verse 31. You shall make a veil woven of blue, purple, and scarlet thread and fine woven linen. It shall be woven with an artistic design of cherubim. This is the veil that uh, goes between the uh, Ark of the Covenant or the Ark of Testimony. It goes between the holy place and the holy of holies. If you see there in your diagram, there is a line drawn there right uh, there between the holy place and the most holy place, that represents the veil. <clears throat> now, the veil is there to hide the presence of God. The veil was about, put your hand out like this. Put your hand out like that. The veil was about that wide. From the tip of your finger to the tip of your thumb, it was a very thick curtain. And God would manifest his presence behind this veil one day a year on the Day of Atonement. 
So in order to prevent anyone else from having access to his presence, then he commanded that this veil be torn so that when a priest came into the holy place, he would recognize that he could only go so far. He could go no further. Even Aaron, the high priest, 364 days a year, could go no further than into the holy place. What does that teach us? It teaches us that God is holy. And a person cannot enter the holy presence of God without being holy themselves. Now, let me fast forward to the crucifixion of Jesus. When Jesus was crucified, there was a temple in Jerusalem that was laid out in similar fashion to this tabernacle. There was a holy place and a holy of holies, and there was a veil, just like the veil that Moses heard about from the Lord to make in the tabernacle. There was a veil between the holy place and the holy of holies. Well, when the Lord Jesus Christ was crucified on that cross, when he said, it is finished, Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit, you know what happened to that veil in the temple. It was torn in two from top to bottom, not from bottom to top. No man had anything to do with the tearing of the veil. It was torn in two from top to bottom, which meant that if a person could ever get into the holy place, he was also in the presence of God. And so what it teaches you and me today is that for us, we have the privilege of living on this side of the tabernacle, on this side of the temple, so that when we who are saved and and bought by the blood of Jesus, when we are worshiping him and praising him and living in his presence to be in the holy place is just like being in the holy of holies. And we rejoice, we know of that permanent, wonderful relationship that the Lord Jesus Christ died on the cross and rose from the dead to give us. Now then, let me go ahead and look with you at chapter 27, verses 1 and 2. And this is the bronze altar. Look, look there at the bronze altar, chapter 27, verses 1 and 2. You shall make an altar of acacia wood, five cubits long and five cubits wide. The altar shall be square, and its height shall be three cubits. You shall make its horns on its four corners. Its horns shall be of one piece with it and you shall overlay it with bronze. Notice there's a different material here. It's the same acacia wood, but it's a different metal. It's not not gold like in the Holy of Holies because that is where God dwells. Outside is an altar of brass or bronze. And bronze in the Bible most often symbolizes judgment. So when God gave Moses this command to make this ark, or rather this uh, altar of bronze, wood overlaid with bronze, it was to be a demonstration of the judgment of God on sin. What would happen at uh, at this altar? Well, that's where the living sacrifices were brought and also other, other offerings were brought. But living sacrifices were brought. They were slaughtered there. The blood was drained there. Then the animal would be offered on this altar. There was a fire going in this uh, altar uh, all the time, and the priests 
uh, were there to actually do the work of offering these sacrifices and these offerings. This is where the uh, blood was shed and the blood was applied. It was applied to that altar around the basin of the altar. And what God was teaching his people over and over and over again, every day a sacrifice would be brought. He was teaching them sin brings death. Sin brings death. Sin brings death. Why would somebody bring a sin offering or a burnt offering to offer it to the Lord? Because of their sin. What does sin do? The wages of sin is death. God wanted to drill that into the hearts of his people. Then that animal would be sacrificed. The blood would be uh, caught there, spread or sprinkled around at the base uh, of of the altar. The animal then, most of the animal would be sacrificed. The priest would keep part of it because the priest and their family needed to eat, and that's the way they ate. They didn't have any way to, uh, they didn't have any land to grow their own food. Uh, they didn't raise any animals, and so the people provided food for them through uh, their um, offering of sacrifices. I think that maybe how back in the old days, country preachers used to get pounded from time to time. Every uh, church that I pastored before I came here was a smaller church, and they would reserve one Sunday. They'd say, next Sunday we're going to pound the preacher. First time I heard that, I wondered how bruised I was going to end up being. But what they meant was they were going to bring a pound of sugar, a pound of flour, or whatever, and bring food to the preacher so they'd stock the preacher's pantry. I don't know if that's where it started, but anyway, that's what they're doing. That's what God commanded them to do so the Levites and their families could have something to eat. So that's the bronze altar. Then you see here the outer court, chapter 27 and verse 9. You shall also make the court of the tabernacle. For the south side there shall be hanging for the court made of fine woven linen, 100 cubits long for one side. It goes on to talk about some of the other things there that are a part of this fence that, are, that is around uh, this uh, tent called the tabernacle. And God did this for a very special reason. He wanted to be with his people. But there still had to be a distance because he knew his people were sinners. He wanted to be with them, but they couldn't look at him. They couldn't even look at the tent. They could only look at the fence that was going around the tent. It was tall enough so they couldn't see over it, and it was low enough that they couldn't crawl under it if they even wanted to or tried to. God was protecting them and demonstrating again his holiness. So that's the outer court. Then turn to chapter 30 and verse 1. And we will look here at the altar of incense. The altar of incense. Now that is, uh, again, that's in the holy place. And if you'll look at your diagram there, it's right before the curtain there, the veil that separates the holy place from the most holy place. The altar of incense. Chapter 30 and verse 1. You shall make an altar to burn incense on You shall make it of acacia wood. Then he gives all of the instructions here on its dimensions and so on. What was this? This this was the altar of incense. It was a very small uh, uh, little altar uh, overlaid with gold, as the other things in those tent and that tent was. And uh, it also had a rim around the top of it, and it had four horns, one horn on each corner. On that day of atonement, when the priest came in with the blood of the sacrifice, he would apply blood to those horns of the altar, uh, as well as having applied it 
to the horns that were on the uh, altar of incense, rather the altar of sacrifice, the brass altar, which was the first thing anybody would see when they entered into the court of, uh, of this uh, courtyard. So here, what, here's what was to happen. There was uh, a, a coal that would be brought in from the fire out in the altar, the brass altar. It would be brought in to the altar of incense. And God gave specific instructions on the recipe for incense made of oil and spices and so on. The only place it was to be used was there in the holy place uh, as incense. And the Bible says here that the priest is to pour the incense onto those hot burning coals and that there would be smoke that would rise from that exchange. And the Bible says that that smoke would fill the nostrils of God and it would be a sweet aroma in his nose. It speaks of the prayers of God's people. It speaks of the uh, sacrifice that had been made. There was most likely blood on these uh, coals. They were brought into the uh, holy place and then the, uh, the incense would be poured out as, a, as an incense offering unto the Lord the prayers of God's people. And then, finally, we get to the bronze laver or the bronze bowl, which is the second thing you see there uh, as you walk into the uh, holy, uh, into the courtyard, rather, of the tabernacle. And that's described for us in this same chapter, verses 18 and 19. You shall make also a laver or a basin of bronze, with its base also of bronze for washing. You shall put it between the tabernacle of meeting and the altar, and you shall pour water into it. For Aaron and his sons shall wash their hands and their feet in water from it. So what is the purpose of the bronze laver? The water, by the way, we're not giving, it's the only thing that we're not given any specific uh, instructions about how to build it. No dimensions are given, so we just don't really know what it looked like uh, other than it being a basin, which means it's most likely round, probably on some kind of a stand. And um, it was filled with water, and the water here was to be used by Aaron, who was the high priest, and his sons, who were the priests, who were ministering at the altar, uh, the brass altar, the altar of sacrifice, and as they would do that, they would get dirty. Uh, all of this was just to be built on sand. There was no floor to any of this. As they would walk around, their feet would get dirty. As they worked, imagine if your job all day long was to put animals to death, cut them up, or arrange them in such a way to put them on this big altar where they would burn up all day long. It's hot, bloody, Dirty, nasty work. And yet, God commanded that it be done. But also, he knew that because of that, both Aaron and his sons who were doing this work would get dirty. So what they would do would be to go to the brass laver and wash. Wash their hands and wash their feet. So this is a picture, I believe, First uh, John chapter 1 and verse 9. Because as we walk through life, 
as we know the Lord, we walk through life, we sin. There's none of us in this room, even after we got saved, who's lived perfectly. We've all sinned even after we got saved. You don't have to get saved all over again. What you need to do, though, and what I need to do is when we sin, is we need to be cleansed. And therefore, I think this is a picture of cleansing. The, the brass altar is a picture of death, our death to sin. And so as we walk with the Lord, sin collects on our feet, to use that uh, figure of speech, and on our hands, so we need to be cleansed. You remember when Jesus, in the upper room with his disciples, uh, took a bowl, took a basin of water and a towel to wash his disciples' feet? Peter said, no, I'm not going to let you do that. And Jesus said, if I don't wash you, you'll have no fellowship with me. So Peter said, well, wash me all over. Let me take a bath. And Jesus said, no, you've already had a bath. That is, you're already a believer. You're already a follower. But what you do need is to be cleansed from the daily sin that you commit. And I think that's a picture here of what we see in the brass labor. So what is, what is the overall picture here of God? Think about it like this. He wants to be with his people. When Aaron, the high priest, on the Day of Atonement, would come into the Holy of Holies with the blood of those sacrificial animals and do as he, command, as, as he was commanded to do, then the very manifest presence of God, he would show himself. That's why it's called the mercy seat. It is a throne where God enthroned himself above the mercy seat, above the wings, between the wings of the cherubim. Here is where God would speak to the high priest. He would give a message to Aaron to go back and talk to the people and tell them what God said. It was only one day a year, and it was only for that brief period of time that Moses or that Aaron was in the Holy of Holies. But friend, it was better than anybody else in the whole world had because this was a picture of what one day would be a reality for every follower of the Lord Jesus Christ we can have an audience with the one true God of heaven. He made the way for us. It is through the Lord Jesus Christ, through his shed blood, through his resurrection of the dead. By his blood, we are forgiven. By his life, we are saved. And we have an eternal home in heaven that's waiting for us. Jesus said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And ain't it going to be grand one day to be in that place that Jesus has prepared for us? Well, who's going to build all this? It took skilled craftsmen, and if you still have your Bible open there, let me ask you to look. My time is way over, but uh, God filled with the Spirit. The first two people in the Bible that we read about that are filled with the Spirit are lay people. So don't think that being filled with the Spirit is just something for preachers or pastors or ministers. It is for everybody. These two men were named Bezalel and Aholiab, and God specifically gifted them so that they would be able to work and put all, this, uh, put all these things together to build the Ark of the Covenant. This, think about all that went into it, all the different kinds of materials. The gold, the silver, the wood, uh, the linen, just uh, the poles. We didn't even talk about any of that tonight. But all of this, but God had a job to do. And anytime God calls somebody to do something, he equips them to do it and equips other people to come along with them to work side by side. Well, that is a very brief overview of the tabernacle. I hope uh, that you'll study it more. Uh, I have done in the past 
uh, several weeks on each one of these things. And so it's just a very broad overview tonight, but I trust God spoke to your heart and uh, that you've been encouraged tonight.